0: this little church of baby Christians. That's a good way to put it. A little church filled with baby Christians. There was no elders. There was no older folks, uh, uh, older in the faith, that is. There was none of that. So he's worried. Remember that in, Thessalon- in 1 Thessalonians, he's really worried that they will be consumed by the predators, the persecutors. And so he's anxious and he's delighted when Titus returns from Thessalonica and tells him, oh, the church is doing fine, they're thriving, they miss you, they love you. And Paul, the whole 1 Thessalonians is like one giant sigh of relief. Whew, right? That's kind of the idea in First Thessalonians. And when you get to chapter 4, therefore, you realize that as he's going to be addressing specific things, he's addressing this band of young believers with things that he's told them before, but things he needs to tell them again and again. and So that's kind of where we're at with 1 Thessalonians 4. So out of reverence for God's word as it is read, please join me by standing and hear the word of the Lord. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers... To do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, your will for us is our sanctification. We do long. We long for growing in it and getting further along in it. And so may tonight be a helpful part of our sanctification. Amen. You may be seated. And so the worship guide, on the back of the worship guide, you'll see the the sermon outline, the, the outline there with the quote from John Calvin, which I'm going to read again here in just a minute. You may ask, why do we read it again and again and again? Because I think it's important just to hear it again and again and again, to remember what we're doing here. So our evening series is drawing on John Calvin's important statement in the Institutes. Quote, Christ given to us by the kindness of God is apprehended and possessed by faith by means of which we obtain in particular a twofold benefit, a duplex gratia, a, a double grace. First, being reconciled by the righteousness of Christ, God becomes, instead of a judge, an indulgent father. That was justification. We spent four weeks on that. And secondly, being sanctified by his Spirit, we aspire to integrity and purity of life. And so now we're moving to the second part of the double grace, the twofold benefit, sanctification. So last time, two, uh, three weeks ago, We examined what justification looks like. We went somewhere that probably was not on your radar, but I hope that you were benefited. I heard some very positive responses to that one. Starting tonight, we're moving now more fully into the other aspect of God's double grace, his twofold benefit, his duplex gratia. We're moving into sanctification. We'll spend actually three Sunday evenings on that. Um, We're going to talk tonight about what sanctification is, and then we'll talk about... um, I don't remember, I've got it all written down somewhere. Let's see, uh, the how of sanctification and the why of sanctification, or whatever. We've got three things to say about sanctification, okay? And so those are coming starting tonight. And so tonight we're going to address what sanctification is. We're going to do so by looking at it In four ways, or four aspects, we're going to talk about positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, personalized sanctification, and paraclete sanctification. Paraclete, paracletos, the word Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, right? The helper, the counselor, the paracletos, paraclete sanctification. So we begin then with positional sanctification, Positional sanctification is part of what God declares of us. It's not what he does in us, it's what he states about us. It's part of our standing and our status that he places upon us. It's a position of holiness. You heard it referenced when Neil was reading from Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 8. In fact, this statement is actually said in Leviticus 28, 21, 8, 2115, 2123, 32. and here's what the Lord said. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. Doesn't just, he doesn't say, I'm the one who makes you holy. He, said, he says, I'm the one who sanctifies you, who makes you a holy people, who, you know, in a position of holiness. At the least, that's what God is saying there. And so positional sanctification, and I want you to listen Closely here, positional sanctification is akin to justification. Um, it's a declaration. It's a position. It's what God says about us because of Jesus, which may be one reason Rome got it wrong and still gets it wrong. Rome, if you read the the latest Catholic catechism, they... In, they, in, they um, pull together justification and sanctification all the way through the catechism and, and make the two almost identical all the way through. And it may be one reason why they got it wrong, because, in a sense, positional sanctification is right along parallel with justification. There is a biblical way in which justification and positional sanctification are so close you could confuse them. They are, an accomplished, they are accomplished by the act of God, act, a declaration, right? When a king does an act, it's a declaration, it's a pronouncement. And so they are both accomplished by the act of God rather than a work of God and are who we are as his people. Let me give you an example. So if you look back to the call to worship from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, I want you to look at it. And I'm going to read it in just a second, but before I read it, I want you to remember the Corinthian Christians. They were a load of trouble. The first chapter, they are bickering and they are splintering along party lines. They are dividing. Jesus, uh, Paul will address that immediately when he gets to verse 10 of chapter 1. They're dividing over party lines. They're pulling the church apart, wrecking the church. They're following this personality or that personality, and Paul has some strong things to say about it. And then by the time you get to chapter 4, you realize they think they're pretty progressive because they're tolerating sexual immorality in their church. Right? And then it gets worse. They're taking one another to court and suing the socks off of each other. And it gets worse. They have marital problems. That's chapter 7. And they don't know what to do about marriage and how to do it right. And then you get to chapter 8, 9, and 10. And they're all about their own... Um, sense of privilege, and they don't care that other Christians are actually wounded by the things they do, that's chapter 8, 9, and 10, they're having problems at communion, so that communion is not really communion, Paul says, I mean, are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? They're a heap of trouble, and that's just by the time you get to chapter 11, you're already exhausted with them, right? And then you get to chapter 12, 13, and 14, and they're arguing over who's got the greatest gifts, right? And, and so that's causing its own trouble. And they, their worship service is a train wreck because everybody wants to talk and everybody wants to speak in tongues and everybody wants to do everything all at once. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Right? It's a problem. And then you get to chapter 15 and some in that church are denying the resurrection. I mean, that's a problem church. And so with that in mind, listen to what Paul says about them in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2 and 3. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, those who are holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, called to be holy ones, that's what saints mean, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are they actively a holy people? Do they act like they're holy? No. They have a lot of problems. What in the world is Paul talking about? But they're sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's talking about their position. Because of Jesus, they are really set apart for God. No matter how they're acting, they are God's holy people. It's a positional sanctification. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting. When you think about it. despite what we act like, we are, by grace alone, God's holy people. Amazing! We really are God's holy people in Christ Jesus, and we didn't have to make ourselves fit by already being the holy people to become God's chosen holy people. We didn't have to make ourselves prepared for that. So there's positional holiness or positional sanctification. We just need to know that it's there. And when you're reading in the New Testament, you have to ask yourself, when you come across the holy language and sanctified language and saint language, what is Paul referring to? Is he referring to um, positional sanctification or another aspect of sanctification? You have to ask that question. It will keep you out of a quagmire. Okay? So my friends... What God declares of us, my holy people, what God declares of us, my holy people, he makes true in us. Let me say it again. What God declares of us, he makes true in us. And so that brings us then from positional sanctification to progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. So this is what we normally think of when we talk about sanctification. We almost always are thinking about this aspect, progressive sanctification. This notion, this idea of growing progressively holy as we progressively grow closer to Christ. And that's good. That's what we should be thinking. Okay, And this is a funny aside, so Christians who are walking closer to Jesus really are the true progressives. But that's a different story. But first, I want you to remember it comes out of positional holiness, where we grow in progressive holiness, that that growth comes out of who we already are declared to be, positional holiness. That again is, notice Leviticus 20, verse 8, what Neil was reading earlier. Keep my statutes and do them, so go be holy. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. I've set you apart. And so out of that relationship, out of that declaration, I'm the one who declares you my holy people. Now go be what you are. Okay, so progressive sanctification grows out of our position of sanctification. It's what God declares of us and so he increasingly makes it true of us. Next, progressive sanctification is progressive because it is God's will for us. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And I'm going to... Spend a little bit more time in 1 Thessalonians starting right now in chapter 4. But notice what, God sa- what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now look, I don't know what God's will is for you when it comes to who you marry. I mean, I can tell you some broad generalities, Christians marry Christians. There's the first good starting point. I don't know what God's will is for you in reference to a job. I don't have any insight and neither do you. Neither does anyone else here. But if you ask me, if Scott were to say, I'm getting ready to take a job, what do you think is God's will for me? The first thing I'm going to say to him, God's will for you is sanctification. Can you do this job as one who walks with Jesus? That's a great place to be, right? That helps you to think that out. I just want you to remember, there are certain things that are specifically stated as this is the will of God for you. No matter what else is going on, this is the will of God for you. And sanctification is the will of God for his people. And then, because it comes out of God's gracious gift of putting us into a holy position, because he wills us to be holy, it then becomes increasingly true of us. So look down. At, uh, so think about Romans chapter 8 for a minute. I'm going to come back to 1 Thessalonians 4 in a second. But Romans chapter 6, just listen, verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness... So that concept of, at one point, we were slaves of unrighteousness, of sin, and there were actions and fruit that came out of that that was death, and that now God has broken into our world and He has put us in a different position. He's given us a new life. Now we're slaves of God. And the result of that is this fruit. And what is the fruit? Well, he says part of it is that it leads to sanctification, this growing in holiness. And that's very much the huge point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, you can't miss it. For example, verses 3 through 5. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then again down in verse 9 and 10. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In fact, he said something very similar to that at the beginning of chapter 4. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more there's that language you're already doing it but now do it more and more that's the idea of progressive sanctification okay so this is what the shorter catechism is encapsulating in that nice little statement in shorter catechism number 35 sanctification is the work of god's free grace whereby we are we are renewed in the whole man after the image of god and are enabled more and more to die under sin, but to live under righteousness. They're just pulling together all these passages and so many more that I haven't even talked about. Pulling those together and, concept, and encapsulating them in that statement. It's a great little statement. Progressive sanctification. Now what this doesn't mean, is a progressive sanctification, so what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we will ever in this life before Jesus returns it doesn't mean that we will ever in this life attain to a complete level of lived out holiness never sinning again we will not as long before we die and before Jesus returns we just won't now there's two reasons why I can say this first off the apostle paul is very very clear that he has not attained think about it this is an apostle Taught by Jesus, walked with Jesus, spent years with Jesus. I mean, this is after the resurrection, but he spent years with Jesus as he goes on to tell us in Galatians chapter 1. Jesus picks him and says, you're my apostle, you're going to go to the Gentiles and go preach. And Paul, this apostle, tells us that he never has attained a higher life level. Does that make sense? He's never attained it. Um, some level of knowing it all and being it all. This is the way he puts it in Philippians 3. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on. He's talking about his life. I press on to make it my own because Christ, because Christ has made me his own. Do you hear the, kind of the grace in there in the gospel? I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. Now he's using race language, right? Running a race. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul characterizes his life as having not arrived and that his whole life will always be this race running forward, reaching forward. That's the idea of progressive sanctification. He has not arrived. And if that's true for the apostle, this this hand-picked spokesperson for, uh, for Christ, then surely it's true of us. And that is exactly what is evidenced throughout all the New Testament. Just think about this for a moment. Every New Testament letter addresses our need to live better than we do. Did you hear me? Every New Testament letter, don't you think if we could reach holiness in this life, there might be at least one letter saying, Ooh, high fives, y'all done good. But there's not one letter, not one place in any letter saying you have reached the goal. And so, but it's constantly, here's what you're doing, you know, here's how you could do this better, here's the, the aim you want to keep reaching for. All the New Testament that should have taken care of all those debates back in the 1700s with the Wesleys. <clears throat> Anyways, so they should have taken care of all of those. Here's all the New Testament telling us that we need to live better than we do and the reasons why. And so I want you to open the Westminster Confession of Faith. I would like you to look, on, if you got your uh, hymn book, the Trinity hymn book, go to page 856. 8.56. We're going to look at chapter 13 on sanctification or of sanctification. I'm not going to read it all. I just want to read paragraph 2. Paragraph 2. And if we get that sanctification is progressive, if it really gets hold of us, it should actually help us extremely, not just for ourselves, our own personal walk with Jesus, but how we actually engage And think of other Christians as well. So here's what the writers of the confession said paragraph two of chapter 13. This sanctification is what? Throughout, in the whole man. So as depravity is a total depravity, it's extensive. So sanctification is extensive, it's going to be working on our emotions working on our thinking, working on our bodies, working on uh, our will, our desire. It's throughout, just as extensive as total depravity was extensive or is extensive. The sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war... The flesh lusting against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. The writers of the Confession are recognizing what Scripture is talking about. There's always going to be this issue. We're always going to be struggling. Though there is this growth, we're always going to be struggling. And we never will attain until Jesus returns. And so it's not about being laissez-faire and lazy and just giving up. It's the fact that, oh, it's, it's an, a sense of assurance, just because you sinned doesn't mean you lost your salvation. Just because you failed at something and, and fell off the wagon, you were, you, maybe you were an alcoholic before and you still find yourself attracted to alcohol, and all of a sudden one day you trip off, you just fall off the wagon, you get drunk. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean you lost your salvation, it doesn't mean you were never saved. It means you're being sanctified and it's part of the remaining corruption that still is there. And so let's pick back up and know that God still loves you and you still are one of His holy children and let's get going. That's how that works, right? It's huge, it's important. But it helps us to think about ourselves, but it helps us to think about others. The temptation is to think we're better than we are And everybody needs to get their act together to get up here with me. That's the temptation. Okay, I'm going to talk more about this in just a minute, uh, another aspect of this. But if we've got sanctification down and it's got us, we can show grace to others when they stumble and fall, which is what Paul tells us to do, like in Galatians 6. If anybody is overtaken in a temptation, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watching yourself lest you too become tempted. And so bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? We can do that. If we think we've arrived or that we're higher, we're living the higher life, then we won't do that. We'll look down our noses at them. We will wonder why they haven't got their act together like I do. You see what I'm saying? Getting sanctification and it getting you helps you deal with your own issues and also helps you in interacting with other Christians. Okay. But to keep us then from slipping and sliding down into some sanctimonious trap of self-deceived self-righteousness, we must remember and recall that all of this... All of sanctification is arising from who Jesus is and what he has done, is doing, and will do for us. That's why we can, and we must say, we must rehearse this, that our Lord's redemptive work has has broken the power of sin, has taken the penalty of sin. Now, this is pretty classic, but I'm going to add a new one, okay? So it's broken the power of sin. It's taken Jesus' work has taken the penalty of sin, He's also humbled the pride of sin. Sin is pretty proud, okay? Humbled the pride of sin and will one day, when he returns, take away all of the presence of sin. And we can't wait. We're we're looking for that day. We long for that day. But until then, we're still running the race, reaching forward. So progressive sanctification then is also very much wrapped up in personalized sanctification. I want you to notice as you look at 1 Thessalonians 4 how Paul is addressing at least two specific areas with these Thessalonian believers. You could probably tease out more, but there's at least two. Most of verses 1 through 7 are discussing or talking about which kind of sin. This is is not a rhetorical question. Which kind of sin is verses 1 through 7 really aimed at? I heard it. I heard somebody say it. Yes, Moose, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Paul aims at one specific package of sins, sexual sins. And even more specifically, as you look at verses 5 through 7, one of those sexual sins that touches the relationships of God's people. Now, what was that specific sexual sin Uh, There's a couple of possibilities, and they all actually fit. We won't get into those tonight. But I want you to think about why would Paul focus, uh, zone in his focus here to this area for these Christians at this time? Normally, when Scripture does get really specific with commands and descriptions, like this one, it is usually a singular area where the original readers were the weakest. Okay? So anytime you see commands, like when you get to Ephesians 5, for example, and talks to husbands about the way husbands are, are to be, it's because husbands are really lousy in those areas. And when it talks to wives about how wives are to be, it's because wives are often very lousy in those areas. And slaves, it's because that's where the slaves are usually the weakest and the, and the worst. And, and the master, where and the fathers and parents. So when it gets specific like that, it's usually because that's the area where we're the weakest or a a group of areas where we are weakest. And so Paul is addressing a personalized sense of sanctification for these Thessalonian Christians. Whatever the specific sexual act is that Paul has in mind, he is making sanctification personal. He will do this again in another area when you look down at verses 9 and 10, but in a little bit different way. The whole focus of verse 9 and 10 is on Christian love. Right? You're already doing a great job, that's wonderful, but you know what? Go team, go, keep it up, and get better at it. Right? So it's a very important area. But notice that he's getting personalized in the way he's talking about sanctification. Where am I going with this? Uh, It has to do with something that most of us, most of us do not usually grasp that causes some serious problems at times. My friends, to say it simply, sanctification looks different for each of us because each of us begin at a different place. Sanctification looks different for each of us because we all begin at a different place. Because each one of us has different temperaments, diverse levels of self-control, dissimilar weaknesses, um, as, and distinctive family backgrounds. We all start the trek of sanctification from unique places. Okay? We've got to learn to get this. Let me give you a little imagination intense thought experiment. Okay? I'm going to tell you about two people. One of them is actually real. Uh, had to deal with him years ago. The other one I made up, but that person, this person will sound like somebody you know. I don't know who. I'm just making it up. There's two people. Over here is Tony. Tony came from a family where he grew up and it was abusive. Physically abusive, emotionally abusive, all of that. It was abusive. He grew up in a family that was thieving, that was lying, that was drug infested. He had never experienced a healthy family relationship in all of his young days as he was grown up before he went to prison and even after prison. He never experienced what it should look like for a husband to love his wife and a wife to respect her husband. He never experienced what it should be like, a normal, healthy parent-child relationship. He had none of those things. And because the family could care less about education, his education level was quite low, including his literacy. That's Tony. But here's Tammy. Tammy grew up in a family that was pretty decent, even behind closed doors. She was well-educated, self-controlled, honest, and honorable. And then one day, both Tammy, or Tammy and Tony, I have to remember my names here, both Tammy and Tony became Christians around the same time. Both of them even end up in the same congregation with the same relationships in that congregation. So you ask the question then, what might sanctification look like for both of them? What might sanctification look like for Tammy and what might it look like for Tony? For example, what might Tony's sanctification look like in that uh, where might sanctification actually hit Tony hardest between the eyes? How will he even be able to grow in sanctification if he finds reading and reading the Bible a near impossibility? How is he going to grow? It's going to look different. What about Tammy? Tammy? What will Tammy's sanctification look like? Where will sanctification possibly hit her the hardest? I mean, she's a good reader, for example. She has no problems reading the Bible and does so daily. Oh, sweet. But then comes a the big $500 question. Which of these two, Tammy and Tony, which of these two will be the easiest for you to consider is really saved? And which of these two might you be tempted to doubt they've ever been saved? Do you pick up what I'm asking here? It's easy, well, I'll just go ahead and say it, probably likely we would think Tammy, oh yeah, obviously she's a Christian, she's walking with Jesus, she reads her Bible every day, she's, she dresses decent, I mean, she, she's, she's honest, she's self-controlled, all those things. And then we run into Tony and we go, Tony's a mess. His life is a train wreck. Even as a Christian, he has no idea how to show up to work on time. He's never been taught to show up to work on time. He's never been taught to give a good eight-hour day of work to his employer. He's never been taught. In fact, he's still going to get tattoos, even though Mike told him to quit doing it, right? He's still doing all these things, trying to get out of them, but he has, no way, he has no idea how to get out of them. Which of those two are you likely to think, oh, he's, she's truly saved, and he's, I don't know if he's saved. Do you see what I'm, I'm saying? So it's very easy for us to move in that, but sanctification is personalized. We all begin the trek at a different level, and Jesus knows that, and he saves us anyways, and he's going to make us holier and holier, and we will all one day be at the same place. When Jesus returns. So let me go in a different direction. How would Tammy, I'm just going to use Tammy as an example. Let's pretend for a minute that Tammy, her temperament, her, just her normal temperament is very patient. She is so patient. She was patient before she became a Christian. She's patient now as a Christian. Now we might sometimes be fooled in thinking, wow, she's really grown in the fruit of the Spirit. Look, she's patient. Well, no, she's just temperamentally that way. You'll know if she's growing in the spirit when the house falls down around her, so to speak, and she doesn't panic and she's able to be gracious to others and, and show some of that patience in a way that normally for even a temperamental person would, who's temperamentally patient wouldn't happen. Does that make sense? So we have to recognize that we have these temperaments, that we all have different temperaments. We all have different backgrounds. We all start the trek at a different place. And so sanctification will look different for different people. I can tell you from dealing with alcoholics and and those with drug addictions, trust me, sanctification looks different for people, for different people because they start at a different place. Personalized sanctification. Well, let's move on then. So sanctification is personalized, but all sanctification is paraclete sanctification. Paracletos, the helper, the comforter. Now, what does this mean, paraclete sanctification? We'll just look down to verses 7 and 8 here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul is playing on the word holy. So notice how he does it. For God has not called us for impurity, but in what? Holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives us His, what? Holy Spirit to you. Right? Now, there it is. We have a vocation. We have a calling. We have a purpose. We have a direction. And that direction is holiness. Why is that our direction? How do we get there? Because we've been given the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't let us just linger in in uh, impurity or or the lack of holiness now i want to i don't want to say much more at this point because actually uh uh, it will come out more specifically in our last sermon in this series we talk about the the how of sanctification but it does need to be stated that it because it comes up often in scripture for example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.13, so it's just a few pages over, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And then as we began the series in the morning on 1 Peter chapter 1, you couldn't miss it, right? You're the elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. We talked about the atmosphere and all that stuff. So it happens, it's mentioned several times, we'll get into it in more detail in a few weeks, but I do have to say it. And So sanctification is paraclete sanctification. It's Holy Spirit empowered, Holy Spirit crafted Holy Spirit-guided uh, Spirit gift and grace. Thank God. And so as we talk about what sanctification is, remember the four. There's, there's positional sanctification, very close and akin to justification. It's a, it's a declaration, an act of God, in, despite what we deserve. And then there's progressive sanctification. And then personalized sanctification, all those are the same, they go together, but sanctification is personalized, and it's paraclete sanctification. The Spirit is the one who empowers that sanctification. And so there we go, we begin. And hopefully when you walk out of here, you're encouraged. You're encouraged. You're not left alone, you're not left as orphans. You are growing in holiness and sanctification. Because you have the Holy Spirit, you can't help but move in that direction. And so be gracious to yourself when you fall. Do repent. Do turn around. But be gracious. That's not proof that you're not called of God, that you're not saved. And be gracious to one another, especially when we fall short, especially when we fall short. And so let's pray. We thank you, O Lord our God, for the, the fact that you do make us, call us, set us in the position of holiness. It's amazing that we are sanctified in Christ Jesus no matter how messed up we are. Because of your grace, because of Christ's own holiness that has been imputed to us. That's amazing. And we're grateful, Lord God, that this growing in holiness, this sanctification is progressive, and that you've given us the Holy Spirit so that we will move in that direction. And you know where we have begun. And you're moving us along, based uh, uh, thinking through and working through where we've come from. Lord, we are grateful for this. We do, as we began this sermon, we do want to be a holier people. And we pray that you would you would keep us growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Keep us growing more and more, putting to death sin and growing more and more in righteousness. We ask all these things for Jesus' sake and in his name.